Hey everybody, it's Matt. Welcome or welcome back to the Journey Church Podcast. If you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you can automatically get our weekly episodes. And you might want to go ahead and subscribe to our Journey YouTube channel as well. You'll find messages, music, interviews, inspiring stories, and more for you all right there. Now, I hope this episode helps you take your next step in following Jesus. You know, I was told for most of my life that there's something about becoming a parent that when you're a parent, you begin to understand a little better the depth of how much, you know, God could love you. And I didn't become a parent until, you know, 37 years old. So I've always heard that. And I was like, whatever, whatever, whatever. But it is true for those of you who are parents, you know this, once you become a parent, it's, it begins to make a little more sense to you. And I was reminded of that back in May. Uh, my wife and I, uh, we were at a conference with some of the other staff and volunteer leaders from church here. We had a conference down in Atlanta and we had left, uh, we have a 10 year old and a nine year old. So we had left our daughter and our son uh, here with my parents and we'd given them the instructions on, you know, all the places you got to run them and all the stuff you got to do. And they were being so nice to do that. So uh, Tuesday night of the conference, we're in a session where the band there is actually doing what our band just did for us. We're in the middle of it. I'm standing next to Jen. All of a sudden, I can tell Jen's getting really upset. And I didn't think the band was that bad. So I was like, okay, I don't know what's going on, right? So, so I start paying attention. She's on her phone. She's just texting, flying away, you know. So I, I leaned over and kind of took a peek to see what was going on. And then we started talking. And what I discovered was this. Our 10-year-old daughter was lost. That's what had happened. That's why she was a little upset. So she was in an activity, needed to be at practice. We told my parents, hey, take her, you know, to this place at this time. And they had all of that uh, lined out. Um, the problem was they moved the location of the practice and they did not tell us. So we didn't tell my parents. So they dropped her off and there were people there. What we didn't know is they were not the right people, you know. So, so they dropped her off and then took off. And the only way we found out is the person who was leading this practice text Jen and was like, where is Ellie? Like, she's at da-da-da, and they're like, well, we're not there, you know? So as you can imagine, moms, you get this, right? Uh, Jen is getting really amped up. And so being the great husband I am, uh, being, why do you laugh? That was not nice. I, I've got a ton of empathy and compassion in moments like that. So, so I lean, this, I'm not making this up. So I lean over to Jen, and I said, hey, babe, don't worry about it. We've still got James. And I got a look that you could probably imagine. And so I was like, oh, she's not realizing what I'm saying. So then I was like, it might be more fun with just one kid in the family anyway. She also did not appreciate that very much, right? And so you know what happened. Like, you know, we sent out a search party. We got a hold of my parents and they were like, what in the world? You know, whatever, whatever. And sent out a search party and tried to find her. Because the thing is, the reason y'all laughed about that is yeah, we knew exactly where James was. James was all good. The problem was Jen didn't care about James at that moment. Uh, all she cared about was Ellie. Because it's true, isn't it? When you lose something of value, you always focus on what's lost and not what's found. You focus on what you don't know, not what you do know. So this is week two, for those of you who missed last week, this is week two of our series, What God is Really Like, where we're asking the question, well, you could guess it, what is God really like? And the reason we're asking this question is because how you answer this question shapes your life in some pretty extraordinary ways. It determines, to a large extent, your perspective on life. It defines the values that you have in life. The reality is it's really hard to get life right if you've got God wrong. 
And if you believe in God and that's wrong, you're going to mess life up. If you don't believe in God but you're wrong, you're going to mess life up. If you got a wrong perspective of God and you're wrong, and maybe this is where a lot of us are, you're still going to mess life up. So what I am asking all of us to do during the series is take whatever view we have of God, because we all have one, take whatever view we have of God and compare it very honestly and openly to what Jesus had to say about what God is like. On the night of his arrest, and this is kind of a bit of a bold claim, on the night of his arrest, when his closest followers ask him, hey, can you, you keep talking about dying and everything, we're not sure what that's all about, but just in case something goes down and it's bad, could you just... Could you just show us God? Could you tell us exactly what God's like? We kind of need the answer to that before all this happens. When they ask him that question, do you remember how Jesus responded? It was so odd. He, Jesus said, well, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, which is a crazy statement to make, except, and they thought it was crazy, except three days later, he was in a tomb and he walked out under his own power. And then from that point on, they were like, okay, he really is God. He was who he claimed to be. It took the resurrection to convince them. So if you're like, I don't know that I can trust Jesus, well, you got to figure out if you believe in the resurrection or not. Because if you look at the evidence and decide he really did rise from the dead, well, you can trust everything he said as a result of that. And so throughout this series, what I'm trying to help all of us do is get a little clearer picture, not a complete picture, but a little clearer picture of how Jesus described God. Because Jesus said, I'm here to communicate and to demonstrate for you exactly what God is like. If you want to if you want to know what God would say, just listen to what I say. If you want to watch what God would do, listen or watch what I do. If you want to see how God would react or feel towards you, just look at how I react and feel towards you. And so last week we began looking at this story. A story that Jesus told for one purpose. And that is because there were four different groups of people in his crowd as he was teaching. All four of them had misperceptions about what God was like. All four of them to some extent had it wrong. And just to bring us all up to speed real quick, the modern day equivalent of the four groups of people that were in the crowd that day were pastors and priests or the religious leaders. There were church people. I mean, it's a lot of you are church people, people who are trying to follow God and do all the right things. There were non-church people in the crowd, people who had kind of given up on following God, and yet somehow they found Jesus so irresistible, so intriguing. They just loved being around him. And then the fourth group that was in the crowd that day were what those people considered to be irredeemable. In their first century culture, it was the tax collectors. It was a people that everybody, everybody, even the non-church people thought, no, 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 there's no way God would love them. And the perception then is much like the perception now. And that is not only do we assume the people at the top of the ladder are closer to God than the people at the bottom, but we also assume, and this is what we want to dive into today, we also assume that God is way more focused and cares far more about the people at the top of the ladder than he does at the bottom. What I want to do today is read you actually part of the same part of the story that I read last week. I'm not running out of material. Hang with me, okay, if you were here last week. We're going to look at it again, but we're going to look at it through the lens of a different character in the story. And the reason why, before we go on, the reason why is because if you're sitting here and you would say, you know, I think I may relate way more with the people at the bottom of the ladder than I do at the top. You know, I, I fall into one of those bottom two rungs. Well, this is especially for you. So Jesus is telling this story, a made-up story where somebody represents God, somebody represents us. And as he tells it, he's trying to help clear up for the people at the top of the ladder and for the people at the bottom of the ladder what they have wrong about what God is like. And here is 
the story. He begins with this. It was a man who had two sons, and the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. Now, as I told you last week, this was this younger son's way of saying, Dad, I just wish you were dead. I wish, you know, it was over so I could just get what I want from you because he didn't care about his father relationally. He just cared about his father transactionally. It didn't matter. The relationship was of no value to him. He just wanted his dad's stuff. He wanted what he could get and gain from his father. Now, I want to dig into this a little bit more because I think all of us can relate to this to some extent. The reason I say that is because this younger son, just stop and think about it, this younger son could enjoy everything that his father had already. He didn't need his dad to die to enjoy it. The problem was... He wanted to enjoy it outside of the authority and the supervision of his father. That was the problem. And there's a word for that. And there's a word for that that all of us want and that all of us, anytime we have a chance to chase it, we try to chase it. What he wanted was freedom. That's what he wanted. He wanted the ability to do whatever he wanted to do, whenever he wanted to do it, however he wanted to do it, and he didn't want anybody to tell him otherwise. And isn't that familiar? I mean, that's how we all think of freedom, isn't it? Oh, I hope one day I can get to the point where I got freedom, where I'm autonomous, you know, where I got so much money, where I'm in a position in life, I can just do whatever I want, whenever I want. Nobody can tell me what to do or how to do it. That is the mentality of this younger son. And probably somewhat to his surprise, certainly to the surprise of the crowd who was listening to Jesus tell this story, Jesus says that the father gives him what he wants. He divided his property between them. So he had two sons. He gave the older son two-thirds because that was the custom. He gave the younger son one-third of his inheritance. And he said, okay, guys, I'm divesting myself of everything. You're not going to be under my authority and supervision anymore. It's all yours. It's all yours. He gave them the freedom that they wanted. And you can guess what the younger son did. He decided real quick, I'm going to go enjoy my freedom. So Jesus tells us that not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had. He set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth and wild living, which we could have all predicted that was what was going to happen. But then Jesus says after he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. Now just real quick before we move on the story. Isn't it true that all of us have had moments in life, and some of you, you're here right now, and I I get it, and I'm not judging because we've all done this. We've all had moments in life where we wanted freedom so much, and we had people warning us, no, 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 it's not always going to be that way. No, 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 you really don't want to. But the reason that we chase freedom, even though it can be irresponsible, is because we make the assumption that we are in total control of the outcomes of our lives. All of us have had moments where we lived like this. I know that happens to other people. It'll never happen to me. I know other people, no, 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 I'm not going to end up there. I'm going to be able to control everything that happens. I'm not going to face any consequences for my choices. See, we blur the lines and we forget we have freedom to make the choices we want. But we don't have freedom to escape the consequences of our decisions. And that's exactly what happens to this young guy, right? I mean, he's living it up. He's not worried about the consequences. He feels like he's in total control. And then Jesus throws in this thing. And then a severe famine hits the land. To which his younger guy's like, well, I wasn't planning for that. And that's kind of the point, right? It's like we don't have total control over everything that happens to us. So story continues. Jesus says his younger son went. He hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his field to feed pigs. He's still trying to control his future. And he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. It's not working out, okay? And then I just, I love this next line. Jesus says, when he came to his senses, because we have all had those moments where he went, 
oh, yeah, mom was right, you know. Oh, yeah, I came to my senses. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. Now, I don't want you to miss this. Because it's finally in this moment that this younger son begins to think correctly about his life. He finally begins to gain the healthy and proper perspective. It's in this moment that he realizes, oh, wait a minute. That authority and supervision and provision that my father was giving me that I thought was so constraining, you know, I want my freedom, I want away from that. It's in this moment that he realized, if I was still under the provision and supervision of my father, I wouldn't have these problems. I'd have everything that I needed. I mean, even people who aren't part of his family, who just work on his farm, in the middle of this severe famine, they're fine. They've got everything that they need. He finally realized that freedom wasn't actually found outside of his father's provision and supervision. It was found under it. Now, before we go on, this brought up a question as I was thinking about this that I want to ask. I think it's something that's worth all of us considering because all of us have done this at some point. All of us have tried to run in our own unique ways. And so the question is simply this. Why do we all have a tendency to run? Why do we all have a tendency to run? Now, when I say we've all run in our own unique ways, I mean, some of us have run in a way that is so obvious. It's like overt rebellion, right? You got stories to tell. Everybody around knew. Nobody had to wonder. They're like, we know exactly what they're doing. So some of us, you know, that's, that's our MO for running. Others of us have run in some really sneaky and sly ways. It's, it's a little more like self-righteousness. We're running. We're just running in a different way. We're running like, I don't need that because I'm so good and I don't need, I'm better than, you know, we, we all run from our father in different ways. But all of us have had moments in life when we run. And I think it's worth pausing to ask yourself, maybe you never thought about this, but why do you run? Why do I run? Why would the younger son run from a father who had given him everything? Well, here's my theory. When we miss our father's heart, we'll always run from home. Here's all I mean by that. When we get confused about how our heavenly father feels about us, when we assume, oh, yeah, 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 God's saying that because he's trying to restrict me. God wants me to live that way because he's, you know, he's trying to keep me from. When we make the assumption he's restricting us and not protecting us, that he's trying to withhold instead of provide for us, when we don't understand the depth of his love for us, when we miss the Father's heart, well, we're always going to run from home. Because we run away from any environment where we don't feel accepted. We run towards any environment where we feel accepted. But if you view your heavenly father in such a way that you think you've done something, that you behaved in a certain way, that you made certain choices, or that he's got a nature where he doesn't accept you unconditionally, you will always run from him. You will. And you will run to acceptance wherever you find it. It is the story of all of our lives, isn't it? And we can end up in some bad places, but if we feel accepted in those places, that's where we're going to run. We'll always run from home when we miss the father's heart. That is exactly what this younger son has done. He has missed entirely the love and the acceptance that his father has for him. And so he's going to rebel against a father that he believes doesn't have his best interest at heart. So, story continues. 
Jesus says the younger son puts together this speech and this plan. He says, I'll set out. I'll go back to my father. I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. Why would he say that? I mean, it takes a lot of humility to admit that. That's awesome. But why would he say that? We, he would say that because the underlying assumption is because of what I've done, dad's got to be furious with me. And God's got to be furious with me. Clearly, I've broken the relationship with both of them. He goes on. He says, I'm going to tell dad I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Why would you say that? Well, because I brought so much embarrassment and shame on my dad when I did what I did, when I took the inheritance, when I ran. There's no way I deserve to be a part of the family, to be called a son anymore. There's no way he would want to call me a son anymore. And then the son says, I'm going to tell him this next. I'm going to say, make me like one of your hired servants. I'm not asking for my place back in the family, but what I am going to ask for is a chance to prove that I've changed. I'm going to ask for a chance to maybe to some extent, I can't all the way, but maybe a little bit I can make up for everything I've messed up. And so after he puts his plan together, Jesus tells us that he got up and he went to his father. Now, before we move on. The emotions, the concerns, the doubts, the thoughts that this younger son was wrestling through and trying to process as he's figuring out how to go back to his father. All of us, I would imagine, can relate to those. Have you ever had a moment in your life where you felt like, I cannot at this point turn around and run back to God. After what I did, he's got to be furious with me. After what I did, he's got to be ashamed of me. After what I did, I got to make up for what I've messed up. I got to figure out how to prove to God. I got to get my life cleaned up and back together, and then maybe he'll take me. I bet we have all had moments in our life where we felt like we just weren't welcome, that we had burned the bridge so bad that we couldn't walk back. That's exactly what this younger son was feeling. And it's what makes the story Jesus tells so powerful. Because he tells us that while this younger son was still a long way off, his father, remember in the story, father represents God. His father saw him and he was filled with compassion for him. He was filled with compassion for him. So this younger son is expecting one response. He gets something totally different. He goes on. He says he ran to his son, the father did. He threw his arms around him. He kissed him. And then the son, you know, starts into his speech. Father, I've sinned against heaven, against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Before he can get out that last line, hey, I'm just asking for a job. Maybe like one of the hired servants before he can even get it out. Jesus says the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, which was symbolic in that culture of you're back in the family. You're, You're restored as a son. He goes on. He says, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Now, a couple things. One, if you're sitting there listening to that and you think to yourself, but that just seems like such an irrational response for a father to have. I get that. I do. And here's the irony of this whole deal. We have spent two weeks talking about this part of the story And it's not even all the story, nor is it the point of the story. The point of the story is what we're going to look at next week 
The point of the story is the third character, the older son. The point of the story is Jesus is trying to help us understand all of us who tend to fall into the older son syndrome that we've got an inaccurate view of God. But before we get there, for those of you who you can relate to this younger son, maybe you haven't been quite so overt, maybe you haven't been quite so you know, publicly rebellious, but you can relate because you have run. You can relate because maybe you are running and you're thinking, how did he know? How did I show up today and they're talking about this? If that's you, then you should just pause for a moment and consider, why am I running? Why am I running for my heavenly father? Because according to Jesus, God is a father who's inviting you to come home. God's a father who's inviting you to come home. And you know what you have to do to come home? This is what's so amazing about it. You have to humble yourself enough to come home. That's it. Now, here's what's extraordinary, what I find extraordinary. When you humble yourself enough to stop running from your heavenly father and run to him, you know what you are met with? The same thing this younger son was. You are met with indescribable grace, unconditional love, and extravagant acceptance. Your humility, don't miss this, your humility is always, always, always met with grace. God promises it. As a matter of fact, humility is the one thing God finds irresistible. Just read the stories and the documents in the New Testament or the Old Testament, if you don't believe me. Every time someone demonstrates humility, God says, I'm giving you grace. So, I bring this up because for some of you, you're at one of these crossroads where you got to decide whether you're going to come home or not. And maybe you've resisted because you think, oh, God will pay me back. Maybe you've resisted because you think, I got I to clean up everything I messed up first. Maybe you've resisted because you feel like I got to prove that I've changed, you know. None of that's true. None of that was true for the younger son in this story. All you have to do is humble yourself enough to come on home. And forgiveness, and this was proof, I mean, Jesus settled this on the cross. His death and resurrection proves forgiveness is available for all of us. That when we come home, you're not going to find your heavenly father waiting for you with arms crossed. You know, I can't believe, and we need to talk about this. No. He's going to be full of joy. Just like when Jen and I finally, after we had waited and waited and waited, when we finally got the text, hey, we've got Ellie. She's in the right place. We weren't mad at anybody. We weren't like, I can't believe Ellie walked in there and didn't know. No, 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 no. There was just joy. And that's exactly how your heavenly father says he'll respond to you. As a matter of fact, when you're lost relationally from your heavenly father, when you're running, his focus is on you way more than it's on all of us who show up to church every single week. Because we're found. We're safe. We're good. We've already got everything that he needs. We're under his supervision and provision. He doesn't have to worry about us. You're the one who's on his mind. 
And he's not going to force you to come home. He's going to honor your freedom. But when you realize there's better freedom under his supervision and provision, when you realize there's better freedom at home, he's ready for you to come home. So in just a moment, we're going to end with a song that I think is a great reminder to all of us. That when we come back, we find a heavenly father with arms open wide. But before we do that, if you've been running in some capacity and you're ready to stop running, I want to give you an opportunity as we pray right now to just, there's nothing magical about it. In your own heart, in your own mind, you can just tell God, I'm I'm tired of running. I'm ready to come home. And his forgiveness, his grace, and his love will be waiting for you. So before we sing, would you guys all stand with me and let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful. Honestly, it's hard for us to wrap our heads around. Sometimes we're really skeptical. It's hard for us to believe. But at the same time, we're so, so grateful for the extraordinary, extraordinary love you show us. And for those who, you know, today, this hits close to home because they've been running and they've never come back to you or never completely come back to you because they're just afraid of how you'll respond to them. For those who, for those who are going, oh my gosh, I don't, um, I've been running and I, I need to turn around. My prayer is that in this moment, they'll have enough humility and they'll have enough courage to just tell you that. And thank you for being so quick and so free with your forgiveness, with your love, with your acceptance. Thank you for a grace that meets us in our humility every single time, that guides us through that changes us forever. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, if you'd like more content like this, subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our Journey app to access all of our recent message content. And our app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend. For more information on our church or to find our app or our YouTube channel, just visit journeycalway.com. That's journeycalway.com. Thanks for listening.